pray with me? Lord, we thank you for bringing us here tonight safely. Lord, that even as we sung, Lord, we give ourselves to you in a way that, God, we invite you to infiltrate our lives, to infiltrate the way that we think and the way that we do our our life on a daily basis. And, And we ask that, Lord, you would do whatever you want to do. That God, if there, there's something inside of our lives that doesn't align with the truth of your word. If Lord, we're living in a way that is contrary to the way that you've called us to live. We ask that God, by your grace, you would lead us through the pastures. That God, we would be transformed into the likeness of you. That God, we meet here Tonight, because we are expecting to meet here with you, that you would do something new in our life, that we would walk out of this place different. So, Lord, as we sung songs of worship, let us now worship you in your word. And we thank you for what you're going to do tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I was amazed, I, you know, when you guys were worshiping, I kind of walk around the back. Some of that's nerves, but I walk around the back and, and, I, and I'm, at, I'm at awe of just being able to see a, a young generation like this seeking God um, in, in a place of formal worship. And, and I think that is, it's amazing that you guys would um, sacrifice your time and, and a Friday night to be here, um, to be with God's people, to hear from God through his word. And, and I think that's really special. And I think in your obedience to do so, um, I know there's going to be great fruit that comes from your life. And so, um, you know, I joke around, I've been in the young adults for many years and I just never left. And I'm not a young adult any, anymore, even though I fooled some of you. But, uh, but it's, it's still a special place because I know that God is continuing to work. He's always working. He's always producing fruit in our life if we would just listen, if we would just obey. And so tonight, uh, we're going to continue through our One Another series. And um, we're going to talk about unity. And so this is a really, it's a really heavy topic, but what I realize is that um, being unified with one another is literally throughout the whole Bible. Um, I'm not going to necessarily talk about Genesis to Revelation, but in a sense, there is a unifying degree of our relationship with God and others from the very beginning. And so tonight we're going we're gonna to see how God has called the community, the community of Christ, to be one, to agree with one another, to love one another. Last week I talked about that. Last week we talked about how God calls us and commands us to love one another, that we would love like uh, Jesus, that we would do that by walking in light, and that also we would do that by walking in the word. And so, um, and this week we're going to talk about unity, and next week we'll talk about, I think, servitude or humility, 
Um, but a lot can be said about unity, right? Especially in today's world where division seems to be rampant. Not only has a global pandemic and various political strifes revealed how fragile and fractured our unity is within our society, but even within our church community. We've seen the things that divide the world seemingly divide the church. Now, social media has not helped regarding this thing. We've seen Twitter wars, right? People using a common place of communication to be hostile towards another person who is different from them, even amongst the Christian community. With no compassion, people tend to blow their dispute out of proportion and hate those who are created in God's image. It is so easy for us to find an identity in what we're against rather than for what we are for. Now, unity can be said, or could be said to be a state of being undivided or having a oneness with one another in mind and thought. And I think this definition does well for us. It's actually worthy for us to pursue, pursue as Christians. Yet we kind of need clarity on what we are unified in or what unifies us as a people. And I think there's three unifying marks of the Christian faith, of the Christian community. And the first one is to be unified in Jesus. And that's pretty simple. We probably would all agree on this statement right here. To be a Christian, to be unified, would be to be in Jesus. Uh, many try to actually find unity in all other types of things, though, right? Even as Christians, they find unity in political beliefs, in social justice agendas, and even, even sports teams, right? Game day comes and we put the jersey on, the face paint goes on, right? We're cheering, we're energetic. Next day's church and we're not so much the same. But with that said, we must realize that as Christ followers, we have a special kind of unity with God and his, and his people that go beyond earthly ties. Continuing from last week's reading, we found ourselves in Jesus' farewell discourse in John's gospel in chapter 13. And tonight we find ourselves in John 17. And here it's Jesus' high priestly prayer for the church. Now I'm not going to go through all of it. But here it's interesting that he calls the disciples to be one just as he is one with the Father. Jesus prays in John 17... 10 and 11, he says, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. He continues to pray. Jumping to verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through the word, through their word. 
pause for a moment. So he's, he's saying not these disciples only, but those who will come to faith through the preaching of the gospel means who? Means you. That they may all be one. Who are you one with? With the universal church. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be, become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Three times Jesus says to his disciples to have oneness, to be one. This oneness is unmistakably supernatural. It's a supernatural unity that is modeled and empowered by the Godhead. Jesus says his disciples are to be one with each other just as Jesus is one with the Father. Think of the Godhead for the moment. It's one God, three persons. You know what's interesting about the Trinity is there's, there's nothing earthly that can illustrate what it is, who God is. He's not an egg. He's not like water. He's not vapor and water and ice. He's none of those things. However, even though his triunity is beyond this world, which I think is pretty amazing, that you can't really put God in a box, our unity is defined by its uniqueness. What this tells us is that our harmony with one another is somewhat of a mystery. If anyone ever tells you that they have the Trinity figured out, they're lying to you. But though it is a mystery, one thing we can conclude is that our unity is not uniformity. Meaning we all look alike and talk alike. Sometimes it's easy for us to make Christianity about a, a cultural language that we surround ourselves in. Or even the fashion, right? We adopt a Christian lingo and we wear the same kinds of clothes. And people think that we're Christian. Not to dog on the women, but sometimes they all wear Smokey the Bear hats, right? And the guys, the guys, honestly, they speak too much about fellowship. It's like fellowship this and fellowship that. But we must remember that our goal is not to make clones of ourselves. Rather, our unity re reveals God's complexity. If we think about the Trinity again, we, we see... It's, it's God in, in being one, yet distinctively three. See, we can, the idea here is this, is there's, there's beauty in the unity amongst diversity. The Father is not the Son, nor the Son the Father, nor the, the Father or the Son is the Spirit, but they are one. There's no division among them. For they are in perfect union and have loved one another from all of eternity. Our unity with one another is not based off of our opinions then. 
our personal preferences. It's not defined by our skin color or what ethnic culture we were raised in. It's not defined on how much money you make or the profession you find yourself in at the end of the day. It's not about looking the same or talking the same or even having the same personality as someone. It's not matching up on the Enneagram that makes you unified. No, it's none of these things. Our unity is solely based off of who God is and who we are in the Son. Our unity together as Christians begins with our union with Christ. Many times the New Testament mentions that we are in Christ. If there was ever a phrase that explains the gospel, that explains the transformation of life, it is that you are with Christ. It's not that you just received or that you believed. It's that now you are in him. This means that through faith, we have been awakened by the Spirit of God. And because of the Spirit, we are set apart from ourselves and our sin and what we were pursuing in this life, and we're set to, by the Spirit, to be one with God. To have a deep relationship with Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. To be going in the same direction. He's not just an additive to our, the way that we live our lives. Our union as Christians is the result of this relationship with Jesus. One of the glories of the gospel is that we are, we are all so unlike each other. If you took a quick survey of the room, we're all different. We all look differently. We all came from probably different backgrounds. Right? Some of you were homeschooled. Some of you were in public school. Some of you were raised in a different culture. Some of you are first generation. Some of you are second generation. Yet we are all united in the same spirit and in the same mind. Think about this for a moment. You have more in common with a Christian who lives in a completely different cultural upbringing than you on on the other side of the world you have more in common with him than someone who does not believe but has known you for your whole life that is crazy sometimes we sit in a room and we're like i i don't know how to connect with this person They're, they're christian but there's nothing that interests me about this person really You don't have a common unity in the spirit of truth? You can't agree and walk in the same direction? You can't appreciate the differences of the person sitting next to you? The only way that you will connect is if if they look like you and talk like you and like the same things? Understanding that We have unity in Christ, and that is the essential thing that we have in common. This is what it means to be a Christian. 
Christian is a person who's been united to Christ and his church. But what unites us? Christ unites us, yes. But look back at verse 20 in John 17. What unifies us as a, as a people of God is believing in truth. The truth that was handed down through the apostles. The same truth that we believe today. This bonded truth creates a oneness within our church body, locally and universally. It has been said God's truth is the, the only bond of holy union. We as Christians share something more than just a common interest. More than a, a, a jersey that we put on every Sunday. We share the truth of Christ. And because of this, truth must never be negotiated. Truth ne must never be put aside. Sadly, sometimes Christians are so willing to push aside truth in order to gain unity within the world. But guess what? Unity without truth is spiritual compromise. What does it mean to have unity and truth then? Well, first it means that we corporately believe the Bible is God's truth. I know we kind of like talk about that a lot here, but honestly, that's really unique within the world that we live in. God's word is holy, it's true, it's reliable, it's without error. It is God-breathed. It is alive and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces the hearts of men today. We, we believe that these holy scriptures are from God, who has communicated to us of who he is and what we are, his creatures. Now, I know it's said a lot of times the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth, but it's so much more than that. If we ever just look at the Bible as basic instructions for us, we're missing the point of the Bible. We're not pushing moralism here. It's not so that you would be a really good worker or employee or person in this world, but that you would know God the creator of this world. The scriptures give us the reality of creation, the reality of sin. Did you know that Christianity, the Bible, is the only real religion that gives you the reality in which you live in? No other religion will tell you why the world is the way it is. The Bible also talks about redemption through Christ and our final restoration in the end, not only do we believe it to be true, but we also understand the importance of obeying it. This allows us to see the Bible as being authoritative for the Christian life. That our community, as we come to worship, we worship a God who has authority over our lives. Who has get, we have given ourselves in a way that he is Lord over all. And guess what? If we all agree upon that. If we're all under the authority of God's word, guess what happens? We have unity. We know how to live life together the way that God has created us to live with each other. 
Therefore, we submit ourselves to God's word because he commanded us to obey it. Second, if scripture is God's truth, then we must not add or take away from it. That's interesting. Sadly, for as long as we've had the Bible, individuals had, have had made extra biblical teachings and rules and traditions to cause divisions within the church. Now, honestly, some of the silly ones is that people, they divide in a church over music style. Or church polity. Church governance. Or sometimes they even, they even split over the, the color of the carpet. What's interesting is before we even started uh, service today, we were, we were praying for service, and we couldn't even agree on the place we were going to eat. Disunity is something that we deal with all the time in our lives. Some people even divide over personalities, right? They divide over preachers and their charismatic personality and who they are. They'll divide over that. Oh, I like how this person preaches more than this per person preaches. They, they both preach the Bible, but I'll drive 30 minutes out of my way to go see this guy because I really like what he says from the stage. Yet these are not essential to our fellowship with God and his people. With that being said, thirdly, we, we are to remain unified in truth. If we are to remain unified in truth, we must discern essentials from, from non-essentials. Right? What is quite interesting is that not too long after Jesus' death and resurrection, the church began to face all sorts of disunity within the body. In 1 Corinthians, it's a well-known uh, book of the Bible where there's a lot of friction and disunity and conflict. And yet, Paul's main purpose for writing is found in verse 10. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, we see his, his main appeal within the scriptures. Disagreement has happened within the believers' lives. And guess what they're, guess what they're arguing over? leadership, who they follow. Now, perhaps we, we assume this quarrel has taken place over personalities. We're like, oh, well, maybe it's just personality preferences, right? Maybe some preferred Paul because he was deep spiritually and theologically, and I would be kind of more of a follower of a Paul if I was back then, right? Or maybe some preferred Apollos because he was eloquent and he could speak clearly, and he was sophisticated. He knew Greek better than everyone else. Or maybe some people follow Cephas, which was Peter, because really Peter kind of just was a strong leader, had a strong voice, and he can lead people. Or perhaps, maybe we don't even see it, but maybe it's a cultural preference, which would explain why Cephas is named and not his name Paul or Peter. People preferred one over the other because of their ethnicity, which is really interesting to think about. Although we do not know exactly what it was, we do know this, that the division uh, was caused by people's pride and partiality. 
Paul writes in, in chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of, a, of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul call, Paul's calling this new community, the community of Jesus, which is probably a mixture of cultures and pedigrees and worldviews to come and to relate with one another. Paul commands them, in the authority of Jesus, see the authority there, to agree with one another. To agree means to speak, to speak the same, giving a sense of harmony. They were to learn how to communicate and worship together as a unified body of Christ. To be unified in the same mind and judgment meant that they would adjust their beliefs. That they would adjust and align their worldview with the truth of the gospel. That there's no Greek nor Jew, no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, no free. But all are one in Christ. This is what the gospel does. It unifies us. Christian harmony is based on objective truth in the gospel. One of my favorite authors, Francis Schaeffer, once wrote, The real chasm must be between true Bible-believing Christians and others. Not, not a lesser point, not the chasm between Lutherans and, and, and Presbyterians or Baptists. The real chasm is between those who have bowed down to the living God and his son Jesus Christ. We too must be able to discern essentials from non-essentials. That when something is not a primary doctrine, like the person of Christ, we must understand Christian liberty and be charitable in all things. It is no surprise that the, the church of Corinth was, wasn't the only one who experienced this unity. In the book of Philippians, Paul exhorts the church in the face of conflict and disagreement. Philippians chapter 2, he says... To the community of believers, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being full accord of one mind. What has always amazed me about this passage is, is, is the two surrounding the two phrases right in the middle. Paul says, being of the same love. This means that love, or should I say God's love, is the source of our harmony. It is this transcendent love that allows us to stand as one body, united together and walking in truth. What's fascinating about this call of harmony is a, it is a call to become more like Jesus. It's not so that you'd be a really cool person, that you'd be a really sweet person to hang out with. That your life would be conformed to the image of your creator, to your savior. To be like him, to be like him would be to humble yourself, to do nothing out of self-ambition and conceit, but in humility count others more important than yourself. This process of becoming more like Jesus is what the Bible calls sanctification, to become holy, to be less of your old self, your old nature, the things that you used to do. And to become more like Jesus. How does this happen? Jesus says this process of holiness happens through the, the word of God. John 17, 
17 says what? Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. When we hear and read and study and meditate and allow the Bible to live within our hearts, the Spirit of God renews our minds, making us more like Him and reflecting His very character. But also, guess what it does? It draws us closer to one another. Instead of a community filled with gossip, selfish ambitions, and, and motives, the Word of God sows seeds of unity, love, and humility. Lastly, Jesus prays that we would have unity for the sake of the gospel. Jesus prayed in verse 22 through 23, the glory that you have given me, I give to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, or loved them even as you have loved me. Here we realize that the church's unity is an influence. It's, an in, it's doing something. It's a witness to the world. If we are one with Jesus and walking in truth, people will see Jesus in us and they will believe that God has sent him into the world to save sinners. Think about that for a moment. The way that you live matters. The way that you love matters. The way that you agree in the Lord matters. Kent Hughes says, unity then is an evangelistic necessity. It's a necessity. But one of the most greatest and effective apologetic tools that we have as a church is to agree, to be united, for the gospel. However, unity is not something that comes easy, does it? Again, I jokingly said that we were arguing about where we're going to eat tonight. Right? So many things to disagree on. So many opinions that we have. Are we willing to be charitable in those moments? Are we willing to put the interest of another person before ours? hey, you know, I would rather eat this place, but you want to eat there, that's fine, we'll go there and eat. Simple as that. The amazing thing is this, is Jesus has already created unity. We don't have to recreate it. What we do is maintain the unity. We, we must work at it. Now, this truth actually can be seen in marriage, right? When God brought my wife and I together, we became instantly one. We made a covenant before God, and spiritually, we became one. The Bible says we were united as one flesh. However, it didn't take long for us to see and figure out that the oneness that we have been called to was not automatically something that we always that made us always agree in everything, right? We didn't just magically start agreeing with everything that was going on. Like, oh, you were thinking that way too? Oh, me too. Wow, look at that magic. Some of y'all think marriage is like that. It's not. 
In fact, we, we disagree with a lot of things. But we're intentionally working things out all the time. In our marriage, we have committed ourselves to oneness through what? Communication. Spending quality time together. Praying for one another. Having a deep love for each other's mind and soul. Caring. Like literally caring. Understanding. When a married couple reaches such a unity, it becomes a really beautiful thing. And so it is with the church. In fact, Paul says the church is very much like marriage. He says that in Ephesians 5. Now, although we are one in Christ, we are constantly working out our unity with one another. When we do so, our unity displays the very beauty of the gospel. God's extravagant love for his people in the world. Now, how can we practically be unified for the sake of the gospel? That's a great question. Thank you for asking. There's five ways. Five ways. And I took this from a, a guy named Dr. Andrews. And he came with, with the acronym of unity. And the first one is uplift. We are called to uplift one another. The Bible says we are to pray for one another and to confess our sins to one another. James 5, 7, or 16. Not only can we pray for one another to live out the gospel, we can pray specifically for what? Other churches. What is more unifying then we actually pray for the other local churches in our city that they would partner with us in the gospel. I actually know uh, one of the local churches here in Riverside that prays for Harvest specifically all the time. What an amazing thing. What a privilege it is to pray for another, another local church down the street that God would use them and move through them and that people would come to faith through that ministry. What a powerful thing for us to pray. Next, God calls us to meet needs. The Bible says that we, if we see a brother or sister in need, we should not close our hearts off to them, right? We, we read that in 1 John 3. But to provide for them. Last week I shared that if God's, if God's love truly resides in us, then it will not only move our hearts, but it will move our hands. Providing for the needs of others is a great witness to, to even non-believers. For when we give and, and provide earthly means, we, we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Not only that, it gives us an opportunity to witness for why we are doing the work towards them. Building a relationship with the, the people who don't come to church. Third is integrity. John 17, 22 says, I have given them glory. Jesus represents the very integrity of God's character. And he says that we have received the same glory. If we have the same glory in us because Jesus lives in us, then guess what? We must walk in integrity. Walking in a worthy manner that we have been called to through the gospel. This means as we 
go into our workplaces, as we go into the classrooms, go into our colleges and universities and every other aspect of life, that we would have integrity, that we would be carrying within us the very character of God, that when people see us living and doing normal things, that they would see Jesus in us. Fourth, as we live lives of gospel integrity, we can build trust with one another. As Jesus calls his disciples to go into the world and to preach the gospel to all nations, he's also inevitably doing this. He's asking the disciples to entrust them, their lives with one another. Have you ever thought about that? They're like, he's like, you guys are going to go into the world, and guess what? That means you guys are going to have to trust each other. As you work and serve, and as you even die together in the gospel, you must trust the person next to you. We too can build a unity on trust as we partner and serve God and his kingdom together. What an amazing thing. Fifth and finally, yielding. As we yield to the lordship of Christ in our union with him, we then have the capacity to yield to one another. The apostle writes in, in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. This call drives us to submission, to yielding to one another, so that the world would see Jesus in us. Therefore, we should not be willing, unwilling to, to not yield to another person. We should be willing to submit ourselves, to submit our desires for the greater commission of God's kingdom, for his kingdom to be advanced. And the love of God to be known in a very dark world. In closing, if we truly want virtuous unity displayed within our community, I think we do. One that both expresses our union with Jesus and reflects the glory of the gospel in the world. Guess what we must do? The word calls us to examine ourselves. To examine ourselves. We must ask ourselves first and foremost, am I truly united with Christ? Or am I simply just connected to some sort of Christian community, some culture that everyone kind of, I just want to be like these people in here, but I don't know what they really have in common. Sometimes people find themselves in churches and they don't know why. And they're like, man, these people are really nice. <laughs> and it feels safe in here but I really don't have anything uniting me to them. Well, if that's you, the, the gospel calls you to, to believe, to trust, to put your faith in Christ who was crucified for you, who rose for you, that you would have life in his name, that you would be unified forever with the creator of the world. What a beautiful relationship. If you came in here looking for uh, an earthly relationship but found yourself to be in a union with God, what an amazing truth that is. That God would be so gracious and so kind to call you to himself. Secondly, we must ask ourselves, are we intentionally working on being unified? Or are we the cause of division? 
with our gossip and our slander and our backbiting and our, and our disagreement with people and our attitudes and our unloving words that we say to people? Are we causing division? Or are we intentionally working to be unified, to keep the unity? Let me ask you another way. How often do you insist on your own way? How often does it need to be your way or the highway? How often is it that people have to bow down to you and your preferences in order to hang out with you or go places with you or to be your friend? When's the last time that you humbled yourself? Humbled your heart before others, putting their interests before yours. it's been a while, maybe it's time to be like Christ, who humbled himself to the very point of death, death on a cross. If this is you, turn from your selfish ways, your self-ambition, and be refreshed by the new love for your neighbor and friend. I believe many of us want unity but are we willing to sacrifice for it? Are we willing to put ourselves down, lay ourselves down for the sake of unity? I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me, and I'm I'm just going to pray that the Spirit would help us and unite us as one. That this next season of life this next season that we have as God's people, that he would do some amazing things. That he would, he would be knitting our hearts together. That in our self-denial and putting the interest, bef- the interest of others before us, that our hearts would become closer and fonder together. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your unifying power that Jesus, when you you rose from the grave and you've called your disciples to follow after you, that God, we would submit ourselves to everything that you've said, that our lives would be a living sacrifice. Lord, even before we began, Lord, we ask that whatever you want to do, Lord, that you would do it. And Lord, I think that you want for us to be unified. To us, for us to love as you have loved us. That we would be one as you are one with the Father. And so, Lord, help us. We're so ready for it, Lord. That, Lord, we wouldn't be pretending to have genuine hearts for people or that we would put on the face of unity, but, Lord, behind closed doors, we would be saying things that cause division. But, Lord, your people in this room, this generation, would be known by their unity 
in harmony together and that the world would see this and they would know that the Father sent you to save sinners. And so we love you, Lord. We thank you for even tonight, Lord, and I pray that, God, your, your spirit would be working in the hearts of people, Lord. If there is repentance that needs to take place, if there is just reconciliation that needs to take place within relationships, Lord, that, God, that would happen tonight. That we would freely give ourselves to another person and say, hey, I, I did you wrong, and I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Let's walk in the same direction. Let's, let's unite in the gospel together. Let's, let's cut off anything that's holding us back to knowing you. Lord, we thank you for this last song as well, and we ask that, Lord, you would give us worshipful hearts, that we would give it all to you because you have given everything for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.